I know we've got a handful of guests with us this morning, and we're glad you're here. My name is Jeremy, and I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty, and we are glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, let me speak for just a few seconds to you when you come on Sunday to bring a real physical print Bible. Now, again, uh, this is just my uh, this is just my um, my personal recommendation. If you've got your phone and you're using your Bible for the, I use the phone on my Bible or my the Bible on my phone all the time. I love having it, but I also know what an incredible distraction it is. And we're going to be looking at First Corinthians for a long time. And so if you bring a physical copy of, a, of the scriptures with you and you bring the same one week after week after week, you're going to get to know the landscape of 1 Corinthians in a special way. And so I, and I think I'm, I may be imposing on some of you like the way I learn and the way I think. Like I literally begin to learn like, oh yeah, chapter 1 verse 19 is up here in the top left-hand corner of the page, and then down on the bottom right-hand corner of the page is chapter 3, verse 14, and oh, I remember where that verse is, and the, the landscape of the book of 1 Corinthians literally takes on a physical geography for me, and then I'm also not distracted with um, Instagram and notifications and sprinklers going down and my iWatch, my iPhone watch going off and all those sorts of things. I don't have any sprinklers, um, so they don't go down, so... 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. By the way, none of that, you can use your iPhone every Sunday for the rest of your life. That's totally okay. It's not a Bible thing. It's just a recommendation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Starts with a word that means we can't start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. It starts with the word but which means it's comparing or contrasting something that came before it. So let's take just a second and back up into chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so Paul's been talking, you remember last week, Paul's been talking about how that there's the natural man and he doesn't receive the things of God and there's the spiritual man and he understands the things of the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God has opened his eyes and given him the ability to understand them. Now, verse 1 of chapter 3 says, but, but I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people. You are spiritual people, but I... I can't address you like your spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, again, they are, they are believers, right? He says, but I, brothers, he's brothers and sisters, you're infants in Christ. You, you are Christians, but, but I'm not able to talk to you like spiritually mature people. Verse 2, I fed you with milk. The, the foundational teaching, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? 
what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Well, they are their servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. They're one and the same. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. That doesn't mean that they are equal with God. That means the two of them, Paul and Apollos, they are fellow workers. They're, they're equal. They work for God. You are God's field. We know a lot about ag around here. He's using an agricultural illustration here to explain how servants of Christ work within the congregation. There are farmers, and there's a crop, and they are Christ's servants. And he switches from an agricultural illustration. He's going to switch to an architectural illustration. You are God's field. That's agricultural. End of verse 9 now. God's building. Now he switches to an architectural illustration. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the most important verse that we're going to look at this morning. I I don't know if I have the authority to say that. That's one of the most uh, important verses that I've discovered as I've studied this week. No one can lay a foundation other than the one that has been laid. Jesus Christ is the church's foundation. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and y'all are that temple. And yes, I'm using the word y'all very intentionally. Because this is not referring to you as an individual, as the temple of God. It's referring very specifically to this group of people as being the temple of God. And our English translation loses that plural pronoun, unless I say the word y'all, which works here in Texas. Father, please help us, help me, help me to clearly communicate your intention for us through this passage. I pray that the point of my sermon will be very clearly the point of this passage, as you have written it, as you have intended it for your people. I pray that you would help us to stay awake. I pray that you would help us to stay tuned in. I pray that you would show each of us that each of us individually need what's going to happen here over the next 45 minutes or so. And I pray that your spirit would do this work in us. We pray in his name. Amen. Have you ever heard this phrase, 
they are so immature. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. I'm sure you've used that phrase before. Some of you might be thinking of someone seated in this room. As soon as I say the phrase, they are so immature, and you start thinking about someone else. People's cell phones go off. There's all sorts of marks of, I have no idea whose cell phone went off. It wasn't mine this time. I don't think, anyway. I don't even have mine with me. We, we say this about someone who is behaving in a way that isn't in keeping with what's appropriate. When someone's behavior, when someone's thoughts, when someone's attitudes are not in keeping with what is appropriate, I see other people checking their phones to make sure they're silenced. When a child throws a temper tantrum at the checkout line because he isn't allowed to get the candy bar after his mom has just spent an hour gathering throughout the grocery store hundreds of pounds of food and thousands of dollars of food to feed this family for the next week, and the child is throwing an absolute fit because he can't have the Kit Kat bar, and then someone with the eyes to see looks at that and goes, well, the reason that they're doing that is because they're immature. They don't understand the significance of what's happening in this moment. They're immature. When a, when a teenage boy is ungrateful for the shoes his parents bought him because they aren't the right brand of shoes, after this parent has worked and worked and worked and saved and, right, like, and used their hard-earned money to buy this pair of tennis shoes only to find out that it didn't have the right symbol marking on this pair of tennis shoes and that child just won't come out of his room and won't wear those shoes because they're not the right brand. I'm not saying that I've ever been there. I remember when I became alive to the reality that there were brands and that certain things weren't cool and certain things were cool. I wish that day had never dawned uh, in, my, in my understanding. But we understand that when, when, we, when we observe someone, we see, well, He's immature. He doesn't understand the sacrifice that's being made for him. And he, he's immature. When a, when a young woman goes on a missions trip to Africa and is distraught and upset the entire time because she can't get the Starbucks drink that she's used to ordering every day, right? And those with the maturity to understand would look at something like that and go, look, you're, you're, on, a missions, you're on a missions trip. You, you're in a place where there isn't, there isn't even a Starbucks for you to find the drink that you order, and you're here to do good work and to do ministry, and oh, you're just, you're so immature. We say that someone is immature when they are focused or obsessing over a small thing when a much larger issue should be obvious to them. Their values are misaligned. They don't have the capacity to perceive according to appropriate priorities. And maybe they display emotional or intellectual thoughts that are, that are more fitting with those of, of a younger or less, younger age group or, or less developed, right? There, there are immature people, and all of us know immature people. All of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have been those immature people. Some of us still have areas in our lives where we still display, unfortunately, display immaturity. So there are immature people. There are, there are immature Christians, and there are immature churches. 
And in this passage, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is, again, writing a letter to a church, not to an individual. He's writing a letter to a church, and he's addressing his concerns to this church. And he's just finished in chapter 2, walking us through and explaining that there's this division of two kinds of people, the saved and the unsaved. And now he's speaking to the saved, and he's saying, listen, even amongst the saved, there's, there's two different groups of people. There are those who are spiritually mature and those who are spiritually immature. And there are churches that are mature and churches that are immature. My main point this morning for this sermon is this. A mature church is built on Christ and they know it. I'm sorry, I don't think we have um, the the, uh, notes on the screen for you this morning, but I'll articulate them clearly. If you're a note taker, I'll make it clear when we're coming to the different points. The main point this morning is this. A mature church church is built on Christ, and they know it. In fact, in order for the church to truly be mature, it's necessary that that church understand that Christ is its foundation, that that Jesus Christ and his work for that church is the main point. It is the big deal. It is the church's one foundation. It's the only thing that the church is built upon. Point number one, as we walk through these verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, point number one, mature churches don't behave like mere humans. Mere humans, what are you talking about? That's a weird way to say that. Mature churches don't behave like mere humans. Now, where am I getting this language, mere humans? Well, again, look, look at verse one. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, baby food, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human? That's where I'm getting this phrase, behaving like a mere human. Are you, and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being, what are those next two words? Merely human. Now, everyone in here is human. But Paul is saying for those for whom Christ has opened their eyes and the Spirit has done its work of regeneration, we behave in a way, we are to behave in a way that is not merely human or only human or exclusively human, We are also those who God has made our eyes to see. I talked last week about being able to see and being blind. So we've already learned in this letter that there are those who are perishing and those who are saved. And given what we've just read about there being two groups of people, this passage might at first confuse you. is, Is Paul talking about the saved and the unsaved here? What exactly is Paul talking about? But again, he makes it clear right here in verse 1. He's talking to believers. He says, but I... Brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people. You're infants in Christ. So they are in Christ. Paul is making it clear that there is, th- there is those who are spiritually mature and those who are spiritually immature. And Paul was describing this church at Corinth as a group of people who were immature, collectively immature. That they as a church... That they as a group, y'all, not y'all, but y'all, the Corinthian y'all, they were immature. 
Why was Paul describing them as immature? Well, we don't even have to guess at this. I think Paul highlights three ways. This is all under point number one. I think Paul highlights three ways that they are clearly uh, immature. And he uses some very simple language and some simple illustration, one simple illustration to help us understand it. First of all, they weren't able to be... um, they weren't able to be taught the spiritually, what's called, what Paul calls the solid food. Look again in verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready for it. And throughout the New Testament, this, this imagery of milk and solid food is used throughout. But very, very, very simply, because there are so many parts of these verses here this morning that could warrant their own lengthy, lengthy sermon. And so parts of this um, we're just going to be able to touch on, and this is going to be one of them. Simply put, the milk is uh, simple spiritual foundational teaching, and solid food is more robust understanding, biblical understanding, and doctrine. That's how I and many other commentators understand what Paul is is, uh, referencing here. These are things that they're not yet ready for. And because of this, Paul says, you're still You're still of the flesh. You're acting like you haven't been saved. You're not not growing in your faith. Now, we have have babies in this church. We have babies in this room right now. And it is okay for a baby to be a baby. It's appropriate for a baby to be a baby. It's okay to take the little jar of mashed up squash and feed it to that one-year-old because that's perfect. That's what that little one needs. Right, But if Jake was eating little things of squash as his sole way of nourishment, we would go, something's not, this is not okay. Something's not, this, there's something very inappropriate. It's okay for a baby to be a baby. It's not okay for a junior hire to be a baby. It's not okay for an adult to be a baby. Brothers and sisters in the church, it's okay if you have just come to faith in Christ to be a baby. But if you've been in Christ for years, it's not okay to be a baby Christian if you should be an adult Christian, we'll talk more about this. Number two, under point number, under point number one, I'll say letter B, under point number one. One of the ways Paul identifies their immaturity, he says, you, you're quarreling with each other. You're, you're fighting. Verse three, there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? They, they did not appear to be humble people. Brothers and sisters, the more mature you are in your faith, the more humble you are. It's not like you grow in Christ and become more confident and more bold and more uh, think, thinking more highly of yourself. You begin to understand the significance of Christ's sacrifice for you. You realize what he's done for you. Your humility actually grows as the, the, the longer that you're a Christian. And Paul is saying, listen, you're not growing in humility. You guys have jealousy amongst yourselves. You're jealous of one another. You, you see what the other person has, and, and that's what you want, and you're quarreling with each other. Jealousy is not how a Christian acts. Are you, brothers and sisters, are you jealous of others? Are you jealous of someone else's looks or of someone else's house? or of their car, or of their bank account, or of their spouse, or of their, you name it. Are, is there jealousy in your heart? If there is, if that's something that's just constant in your heart and in your mind, there's a maturity problem. And letter C, under point number one, 
they, they were sectarian. They, they, they fought amongst themselves over people. Some liked Paul, others identified with Apollos. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. But they, they put their immaturity on display in a way where Paul, as he's writing a letter to them, just said, I can't, I can't even teach you what I'm supposed to be teaching you right now because of your immaturity. Brings us to point number two. Mature churches don't trust in humans. Mature churches don't trust in humans. First of all, point number one, mature churches don't behave like a mere human, like mere humans. Point number two, mature churches don't trust in humans. What are we talking about here? Verse five, what then is Apollos? Well, back up into verse four. One says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Brothers and sisters, men, leaders, ministers, the people who bring the gospel to you, they're servants. The word here that's actually used, it's translated servants here in our, in our Bible, is the, the Greek word diakonos. Some of you already know what that word means, right? The word diakonos, you can hear it, and it means deacon, right? They're, they're deacons. We have deacons in this church. Many of us have been throughout our life in churches that have deacons, and the deacons are the ones who are the, the servants in the church. That's what the word, lit- in fact, at its most basic level, the word deacon means a table waiter. Someone who comes to your table like a, like a waiter or a waitress to make sure that you have everything that you need. And Paul is saying, look, you guys are talking about, I love Paul or I love Apollos. Hold on a second. We're just, we're just the table waiters. We're just the ones bringing the food out to you. But isn't it so easy, isn't it so easy for personalities to become where we identify our Christian faith and people to become where we put our hope and our faith and our trust? It's so easy. All of us do it. When I hear people talk about churches, it's almost always in relationship to the leaders of those churches. I like such and such church because so-and-so is there. I like his preaching. I like their music minister. I like their, right? Like it's almost always attached to our connection with a person. I don't like such and such church. Well, why not? Because so-and-so is there. And I mean, this is just the reality of how churches work. Like the Corinthians weren't facing something that the rest of us have no experience with. People go to churches, leave churches. They do or don't like churches because of the ministers that are there. Friends, the ministers are, they're, they're merely servants of Christ. And if you really grow because of someone, because of one person's ministry in your life, you can thank God for them and know that the reason that you grew, the reason that you grow is not because of that person. Look in verse 6. I planted, Paul says. He brought the seed, right? We're we're in the ag uh, community. We're in the ag um, illustration right now. I planted, I brought the seed of the gospel to you. 
someone else, this guy named Apollos, he watered that seed. He continued to preach and teach and explain the things of God's word to you. But do you know who grew you? There's a lot of farmers in this room, and you take those seeds and you put them in the ground and you turn the sprinkler on, but you cannot make a seed come to life and grow. Every, I, I Honestly, I think it's one of the reasons that the ag community tends to be God-fearing people who believe in God because they're just keenly aware, there's this thing that I'm doing, and I can't make that. Like, I mean, I'm looking at some really great farmers around here in this room. But you can't make a seed do what a seed is supposed to do. Paul has brought the seed. Apollos has watered the seed. But God is the one who gave the growth. The last week we talked about how God is sovereign in salvation. Look back in chapter 2, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. God has revealed the truths of salvation. In my Bible, in the margin, I have God is sovereign in salvation, written next to verse two, uh, 10 in chapter 2. And down here uh, in verse 6, I have that he is sovereign in, uh, in sanctification. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Verse 6, God gave the growth. Verse 7, God who gives the growth. Verse 6 and 7 state that it is God who gives the growth. What a huge relief. That's a huge relief. Aren't you glad that you are only called to be the servant to other men and not the savior of other men? Like, you're just a servant. You bring the seed. You help water the seed. Matt, Will, I, the, the pastors here, we want to bring seed. We want to water seed. We want you bringing seed into other people's lives and watering seeds in other people's lives. But at the end of the day, do you know who's going to bring growth? It is, it is not any person that's going to actually make that seed come to life and grow. Thank God that God is the one who grows the seed. And it's an immature person who looks to the person or the personality to be the one where they find their, their spiritual comfort, their spiritual uh, um, personality. It's an immature person, an immature church who trusts in the servant's rather than the Savior. It's almost weekly that we hear of another Christian, another Christian minister, another Christian ministry that's involved in scandal. We, Because of social media, because of the news outlets that we have, I mean, as soon as one person falls, it's just all the way across the globe in a matter of hours. Everybody knows so-and-so just fell. This ministry just went, on, went through this thing. But friends, let me ask you this. What did you expect? What did you expect of that Christian personality? Yes, we are to hold our ministers to a high standard, and they are to be without blame, um, and they are to, to, to meet the qualifications laid out in 1 Timothy and in Titus. But brothers and sisters, as we read through the Bible, th there are almost none of God's servants who we also don't know about their incredible failures as well. I'm not excusing sin, please understand. But when you take one of God's servants and put them on a pedestal and say, I am of so-and-so, fill in your favorite preacher. I'm of so-and-so. I mean, you're just setting yourself up for the time when they fall. What did you expect? 
Didn't you know that they have a sinful human heart just like you? Ministers in the church must be held to the standards set forth in Scripture, and ministers should be viewed as that, ministers, as servants. Mature churches view their leaders as servants and not as saviors. And thirdly, mature churches do trust in the God human, Jesus. So again, point number one was mature churches don't behave like a mere human. Number two, mature churches don't trust in mere humans. But number three, mature churches do trust in the God human, Jesus Christ. Let's, let's talk about that. And by the way, point, you, might, you might be thinking, oh, great, we're almost done. Point three is a little bit longer than point one and two. End of verse 9, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I remember years ago, um, a camp that I'm familiar with was building a new complex, a, a big facility. And they had brought in a construction team to begin the, the work there, and they had brought in a concrete crew, and they poured this concrete foundation only to find that weeks later that concrete foundation began to have some really serious cracks in it. And there were some major flaws with the concrete. And I think they had even begun actually building the steel frame and structure of that building only to have to stop construction. And if I recall, they literally had to remove, like they had to start over. They had to remove the concrete because the foundation that had been poured was not a good foundation. It wasn't a strong foundation. We all understand the significant importance of a foundation, right? If, if, if the foundation is messed up, you don't want to go building an expensive house on a, on a poor foundation. And Paul is saying here, hold on a second. There's, there's a foundation that I've been working to build. Jesus, Jesus himself is the foundation of the church. Look in verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, here's the solution to immaturity. And at first we might think that doesn't seem like the solution to immaturity. But I'm going to unpack, I think, I'm going to try to unpack for us why verse 11 is the solution to a church's immaturity. If a church is jealous of each other, if a church is quarreling with each other, if a church is looking to its leaders or, uh, to be its savior rather than to be its servants, what, what's, what solves that? What fixes that? Paul is saying, here's the solution to your immaturity to remember that Jesus is the foundation, and that's where we're going to build. Some of you know the old hymn, The Church is One Foundation. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. This is what the church is built on, the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what makes a church a church. This is what we build on. And we seek to use biblical materials that are 
that are gold and silver and, and precious jewels and not wood, hay, and stubble. But we build on this foundation. We build on the foundation that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, you might think, of course, everyone does that. No, not everyone does that. Some churches build on a foundation of their programs. And we have the fanciest, schmanciest programs for everyone. Some churches do build on the foundation of a personality. And we have the greatest orator in Christianity today. We have the greatest facility. This is what we're building on, on the facility. There are other churches that build on things other than Jesus Christ. Some of them built on, on false doctrine. But the church's one foundation is the church's only. There aren't actually others. You can't actually substitute a different foundation. There's, there's not a different foundation. You can try to found a church on something else, but it, it proves that it's not even an actual foundation. It's sand. And so... By God's grace, we seek to build on this foundation that Jesus Christ is Lord. The, the preaching that we do, by God's grace, every week you will hear that Jesus is the hero, that Jesus is Lord. The singing that we do will sing that Jesus is Lord. The praying that we will do will, as Matt did so well for us this morning, will eloquently declare that Jesus is Lord. The ordinances that we observe on a monthly basis, whether it's the taking of the communion together or when we baptize, will declare that Jesus is Lord. We'll open our wallets and our checkbooks and we will give weekly to declare that Jesus is Lord. Friends, you, I hope you notice that we try to always preach every single week that Jesus is the hero. In every sermon, it's not me. Not you, not being a Baptist. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Lord and Master, not you. The story of his life and death and resurrection, that's why we've gathered. If Jesus isn't the Savior, if Jesus isn't the Lord, then, then we've got better things to do on a Sunday morning. You, you might say, well, well like what? Anything. Sleep in, go hunting, go hunting. That's better. If Jesus isn't Lord, if we're just observing some religious rite that's going to try to kind of make us a little bit better of a person, no, we're gathered here this morning because we know we aren't better. We, we aren't okay. We need someone else who is okay to be okay for us. Jesus is the hero, and we're here to remind ourselves again after another week, that he is Lord, that he is God, and that we need him. After another week of success and failure, we need to remember that Jesus is Lord. A week of success might tempt us to believe that we have what is necessary to be great, and therefore we don't need him, and that we can ignore him. Maybe, maybe you had a week where you kind of look back on this last week and you go, man, I really kind of crushed it. I mean, I made money. I influenced people. Life was good. You know, this church is kind of lucky to have me as one of its tithing members. That's, you know, like God, you know, 
I'm glad that you've got me here this morning. Uh, I'm one of the ones that you would surely be um, impressed with. Hold on a second. But when we gather, when we gather at the foot of the cross and we remember that, that even on our best week, there is enough sin to damn us to hell forever. And we need someone outside of us to rescue us from us and that Jesus has done that. And he came and lived the perfectly successful life that you and I were supposed to live, but didn't. We need to be reminded, even on a week where we consider our week having been successful, that we need someone who is better than us at our best. Because us at our best still still damns us forever. Maybe more often, we show up on a Sunday after a week of failure. A week that might actually tempt us to believe that we're undeserving of His grace. That we're unacceptable. That we'll never measure up. And we come and we're reminded again that God so loved us that he sent Jesus, that we are accepted in the beloved, that the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to us. And when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son and your identity is in Christ. There is no day of your life bad enough to separate you from the grace of God freely given in Jesus Christ. The foundation isn't something that we cover up and forget about. The foundation is the thing that week upon week upon week we look at to build. The the foundation is what we build on week after week after week. We don't leave it behind. And when you know and understand that Jesus Christ is your foundation, then you no longer live in the habits and the mindset of the immature Christian. You understand that Jesus Christ is Lord that he has saved you, that his righteousness is yours, and that is your identity. When you know and understand that Christ is your foundation, then you no longer look to men to uh, be your identity or your own works to be your identity. So in conclusion, and again, let me warn you, my conclusion is a little bit longer than normal. How do we become mature? Right? So often when we look at someone and say, you're so immature, there's another phrase that we use right after that. You are so immature. Why don't you just grow up? So here's the reality. Some of us may look at some of these truths in this passage this morning and go, I'm kind of guilty of being immature. I, I haven't grown in my understanding of the truths of the Word of God, the doctrine of the Word of God. I, I still just kind of eat milk, drink milk. I'm, I'm eating Gerber baby food. I'm not eating the solid food of spiritual truth. And, and man, I, I am, I'm constantly jealous of other people. And it seems like almost every interaction I have with someone, I'm quarreling with them about something. Or I identify myself as so-and-so when others are, are identifying themselves as so-and-so. How do, how do we become mature? Well, first and most clearly, Paul says, by keeping Jesus Christ as the foundation. That's what I've just been talking about, finding your identity in Jesus Christ. I think another way for us to grow and to become mature is by growing in our knowledge of God through the Word of God. Let me read you a few verses here. Happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. This is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. For the 
merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. Matt already prayed for us this morning and asked that God would forgive us as a group for pursuing wealth and money more than pursuing God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen in this church if we pursued God like we pursued wealth? We'd grow. We'd become mature. My son, again, in Proverbs chapter 2, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you so that you incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, if you cry out after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hid treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Do you pursue God through the Word of God? There are other verses that I have here that I could read. But friends, we need to seek to know God through His Word. We talk about that often. It's one of the things that we kind of repeat around here a lot. You need to be in the Word. You need to read your Bible. Try to read your Bible regularly. Come to to Sunday school. Come to ladies' Bible study. Come to a Wednesday prayer meeting. Get the Word of God in you. Friends, the reason we say that is because that's how you grow. Most of you in here are alive. I think everybody. I think some of you have tuned out a couple times this morning, and maybe I, I thought maybe some of you had died, but none of you, I don't think, has died. You just fell asleep. You're all alive in here this morning, and the way, the way that you are alive and the way that you have grown is by eating food and exercising your body. You, you, have, you have eaten food. The way that you're going to grow spiritually is by taking in spiritual nourishment. There's, there's, no, other, there's no osmosis. There's no spiritual pill we can give you. Like, I mean, you could even give a lot of money in the offering, and we could try that for a while, but I still think even that probably isn't going to make you grow spiritually. The way you grow spiritually is by getting the food of God, the milk, and growing into the meat of the Word of God into you. Consider, consider your week. Do you come and listen to a 50-minute sermon on Sunday morning? And, that, and is that it? I mean, can you imagine if you ate one meal a week? You, you might, I don't even know. I'm, I'm guessing you could stay alive, maybe. Like if you really ate a lot of food. I don't even know. I'd have to ask like a doctor or somebody. You would, but if you, if you stayed alive, it would not be a very good existence. Brothers and sisters, spiritually speaking, I think the same thing is true. If you wonder why you are an immature Christian and the, the only food you're receiving is a 50-ish minute sermon where you stay awake half the time, and then wonder why you're not maturing, why you're not growing, why, why you aren't healthy spiritually. I don't mean to scold. I just want you to consider. Spend one hour listening to the Word of God and then spend eight hours listening to podcasts. We can listen to Joe Rogan and Glenn Beck and Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, all of whom have some good things to say on occasion none of whom are Christians. Therefore, all of what they say is the counsel of the ungodly. They are ungodly. 
And they may say some true things. So I'm walking in the counsel of the ungodly for eight hours a week, 10 hours a week. I don't know how much radio podcasting you listen to. And you might say, whoa, hold on a second. What kind of weird legalistic tricks are you playing on me, Jeremy? Hold on a second. Let me, let me ask you to hold on a second. Remember, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you have your philosophers. You have your orators of the day. They speak with wise and eloquent words, and you're inclined to listen to them. And I'm telling you, you're immature. You need to get the word of God in you. Don't you understand that's exactly where we are? That's exactly where we are. We have the philosophers and orators of our day, and I just, I just named some of them. They are philosophers and orators, and they catch our attention, and they influence us. But they are not Christian men bringing the word of God to bear in your life. So, brothers and sisters, Paul's addressing the Corinthians actually fits us far more. It confronts us far more directly than at first glance we might, we might have read through this passage this morning and gone, that was the Corinthian people. They had philosophers and orators. They were immature people. They weren't ready for, you know, for serious spiritual progress, and, and that just doesn't apply to us. It, it fits us exactly. So ask yourself, who is, in, who, who is influencing you the most? Think about your week. Think about your month. Think about the, your time. Who is influencing you the most? Instagram or your Bible? Netflix or your Bible? Fox News or your Bible? Facebook or your Bible? Disney Plus or your Bible? Now, I'm not saying that you have to have a, 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 a calendar and a schedule and you have to mark every minute and figure out, okay, if I spent 60 minutes watching Netflix, I need 61 minutes reading my Bible. I'm not asking you to apply a bunch of weird legalistic tricks to your life. But would that actually really be a, such a bad, <laughs> I mean, I just said you don't have to do it. Now I'm saying, like, just think about, think about it, brothers and sisters. We grow, we grow by our knowledge of the word of God and we grow by obeying the word of God. Do you want to be a mature Christian? then get to know God's word and then obey it. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word as well. If God says don't, then don't. And don't get mad at the servants of God who come alongside you and say, hey, hey, God says don't, you, you really should don't. Don't get mad at the servant. And if God says do, then do. This isn't legalism. It's not legalism to obey God. That's not legalism. Legalism is obeying God, thinking it's going to earn you favor with God and give you acceptance into heaven. That's legalism. If you're overweight and your doctor says to you, you've got to change and you've got to stop eating donuts and drinking full throttle energy drinks for breakfast. That's for you, Frank. You don't respond to your doctor by saying, you're such a legalist. No. You know that he, he intends good for you and that doing these things will bring great blessing into your life. I'm not saying know and obey God to make him happy with you. If you're a child of God, he has shown you in Christ the extent of his happiness with you. He is willing to bring you into his family at the cost of his family. 
He sacrificed his son to bring you into fellowship with him. Now, motivated, motivated by his love for you and his kindness for you and his goodness to you, grow. Grow. Stay founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Know God through the word of God and grow by obeying the word of God. Have you ever met someone in their 60s or 70s who still acts really immature? They're kind of hard to be around, quite honestly, right? It can be uncomfortable and embarrassing for you when you're around someone who's old enough to know better. That's another phrase we use. She's old enough to know better. He's old enough to know better. They, they bring chaos and not order with them. They, you don't want to be around them. They don't leave a place better than they found it. They think their age makes them mature. Friends, many in our churches have been Christians for a long time, and they think that that makes them mature. That does not make one mature. The Corinthian church had, had the message of the gospel for long enough that Paul expected them to be mature, and his concern is the fact that they aren't mature. Founded on Christ, with Christ as our foundation, brothers and sisters, let us, let us build with eternal building materials, gold, silver, precious stone. I mean, again, there's so many more sermons that we could preach uh, on each of these little phrases. And then look in verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that y'all, and if you are a Bible marker, I would encourage you, uh, and that you there in verse 16, to maybe just write the word plural next to it or circle it or somehow indicate that some of your Bibles may even have a marginal note that says the Greek for you is plural, right? Like even, even the, the people who wrote this copy of, my copy of the Bible wanted to make sure that we know this is not talking to you as an individual, talking to you as the congregation. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple through their maturity, immaturity, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy, and you, church, y'all are God's temple. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace and with an understanding of what Christ has done for us as the foundation, let's grow. Let's be mature. Let's be a mature church to the glory of God. You bow your heads and close your eyes. I think the application and takeaway this morning, I hope, is clear. We're to be people who know God through the word of God and obey God and obey God's word. If you're here this morning and your life isn't, as an individual, founded on the word of God, then please come and talk with me or, or one of the other pastors, someone. Talk with someone about how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I think for the rest of us in here, I think we need to take a moment and just have a moment of personal self-introspection. Am I, am I the kind of Christian? Am I, am I spiritually mature? Am I growing in my relationship with Christ? Or am I just a, an immature person? Am I, am I a person of the flesh? Am I an infant? Am I m- behaving in merely a human way? If so, confess that sin to God. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help and begin to grow. Begin to grow by by pursuing God through the word and by obeying the word. I'll ask the music team to come as we prepare to close with a song. Father, we ask that you would keep our eyes and our hearts really um, established on Jesus Christ 
as our foundation. That, that we as individuals would grow with our feet on the foundation of Jesus Christ and that we as a church would grow with Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ as our foundation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now and sing together.